This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, we bring you a rebroadcast of the First Presidency Christmas devotional from 2016. We'll hear from leaders of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with music from the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a joyful Christmas season as we welcome you to the First Presidency's Christmas Devotional. We're grateful for the opportunity together with you and throughout the world to remember and celebrate the birth, life, and mission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The music for the devotional will be provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy with Andrew Unsworth at the organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing, O come, all ye faithful.
now be pleased to hear from Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Following his message, the choir will sing, And the Glory of the Lord, from Messiah. At Christmas time, we believers celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Eternal Father. As part of this First Presidency Christmas devotional that sets the pattern for our celebration, I will speak of the prophetic announcements of His birth. No announcement was more significant than the angel's appearance to Mary. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The mortal birth and life and death of the Son of God was essential to our Heavenly Father's plan to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Before the earth was created, Jesus Christ was chosen to experience mortal life and be the Savior necessary to carry out that plan. Father Adam was commanded to offer sacrifices as a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore he was taught, Thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. In the book of Moses, we also read God's explanation of this, his plan of salvation unto all men, through the blood of mine only begotten, who shall come in the meridian of time. God the Father commanded us to repent and be baptized in the name of mine only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given under heaven whereby salvation shall come unto the children of men. Isaiah, a great prophet of the Old Testament, announced the coming birth of the Messiah. The Lord himself shall give you a sign, he declared. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah also declared, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The birth of Christ was also revealed to Book of Mormon prophets. Six hundred years before the Savior's birth, Lehi taught that God would raise up among the Jews a Messiah, or in other words, a Savior of the world. The prophet Abinadi declared, Did not Moses prophesy unto them concerning the coming of the Messiah? 
and that God should redeem his people. Yea, and even all the prophets who have prophesied ever since the world began, have they not spoken more or less concerning these things? Have they not said that God himself should come down among the children of men and take upon him the form of man and go forth in mighty power upon the face of the earth? The prophet Nephi recorded how an angel showed him a virgin in the city of Nazareth, declaring, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass, Nephi wrote, that I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit. And after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look! And I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. We are all familiar with the first announcement after the birth of Jesus. There's great significance in the fact that this heavenly announcement was to a group who we are told were the most humble in the social order of that time. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The birth of our Savior was followed within a few days by separate announcements to two very holy persons, temple workers, as we would call them today. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The second announcement was to a holy woman, also in the temple. Anna, whom the scripture calls a prophetess, was of a great age, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. The prophecies and announcements just quoted tell of the first coming of the Savior. We are now preparing for the second coming of the Lord, a time eagerly awaited by believers and dreaded or denied by unbelievers. 
We are commanded to stand in holy places and be not moved until the day of the Lord come. For behold, it cometh quickly. Those holy places surely include the temple and its covenants faithfully kept, a home where children are treasured and taught, and our various posts of duty assigned by priesthood authority, including missions, temples, and other callings faithfully fulfilled in branches, wards, and stakes. As we prepare for His second coming and as we stand in holy places, we persist in observing Christmas not just as a season of greetings or happy holidays, but as a celebration of the birth of the Son of God and a time to remember His teachings and the eternal significance of His Atonement. I pray that we will be faithful in doing so. I testify of the truth of these things in the name of Him whose birthday we celebrate, even the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
We will now be pleased to hear from Brother Douglas D. Holmes, first counselor in the Young Men General Presidency. Following Brother Holmes, the choir will sing Wexford Carol. Our concluding speaker this evening will be President Henry B. Eyring, first counselor in the First Presidency. Brothers and sisters, it is a great blessing to be gathered with you tonight. Three weeks from today, it will be Christmas Day. That morning, millions of young children will get up at an unreasonable hour and in an interesting role reversal, drag their parents out of bed. Bursting with anticipation, they will gather around gifts that have been, they've been gazing at for days. My father loved Christmas. Giving gifts brought him great joy, and he and my mother were very good at it. My siblings and I, as well as many others, were the beneficiaries of their talent. Some of their best gifts were not tangible. They were experiences that created bonds of love and treasured memories. Those memories still bring me joy today. It seems appropriate that giving and receiving gifts is a central part of Christmas. After all, we're celebrating the matchless gift of God's Son, the Savior Jesus Christ. Of course, our gifts to each other will never compare to this gift. But I believe that the joy of giving and receiving gifts can turn our hearts toward the gifts of God. The precious gift of God's Son invites each of us to find peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Peace may seem elusive in a world where conflict and division are intensifying, but that peace is exactly what our loving Father and His Son offer to each of us if we will only receive it. Imagine how strange it would be if on Christmas morning we sat around the Christmas tree, admired the beautifully wrapped presents, talked about what might be inside them, and then went about our day without ever opening the gifts. Unfortunately, this is what we sometimes do with God's gifts to us. Consider these words of the Savior. What doth it profit a man if a gift is bestowed upon him and he receive not the gift? Behold, he rejoices not in that which is given unto him, neither rejoices in him who is the giver of the gift. Tonight, I want to invite all of us to ponder how we might truly receive the gifts God has offered us. In particular, I'd like to focus on the boundless gift of the Holy Ghost. As I do, I pray the Holy Ghost will help us understand the significance of this gift, teach us what we can do to more fully receive it, and give us grace to act on what we feel. Why is the Holy Ghost such a desirable gift? The Holy Ghost is the third member of the Godhead. He is a comforter, a guide, a teacher, a sanctifier, and thereby a changer of human hearts. Through Him, we can receive the power and attributes of God in our lives. You remember some of those attributes. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. To me, this sounds like a good description of what is often called the Christmas spirit. The angelic promises of good tidings of great joy and peace, goodwill toward men from that first Christmas night are fulfilled in part as we receive the Holy Ghost. 
We often speak of trying to keep the Christmas spirit throughout the year. We naturally want these divine attributes to truly possess our souls forever. And our perfect Father wants His children to receive these gifts. Indeed, this is the great promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To have our hearts changed, to have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. To be filled with hope and perfect love. It is in truly receiving the Holy Ghost that these precious gifts are open to us. Significantly, the gift of the Holy Ghost is offered to us with these words, receive the Holy Ghost. I would like to suggest three keys that will help us receive this precious gift. To do so, I turn to a profound scene from the Book of Mormon. The resurrected Christ had spent a miraculous day ministering among the people promising to return the next day. Word spread and in great anticipation, the people gathered from throughout the land, some laboring all night so that in the morning they would be in the place where Jesus would appear again. As they waited for the Savior's return, the disciples taught the multitude what Jesus had taught the previous day. The record then says, they knelt and prayed for that which they most desired. And they desired that the Holy Ghost would be given unto them. Consider for a moment how significant that is. They were anxiously anticipating the promised return of the Savior. But they did not pray for that. Having been taught by the perfect teacher and then by his chosen disciples, what they most desired, what they most needed was the gift of the Holy Ghost. This intense, overarching spiritual desire is a vital key to receiving this gift. President Henry B. Eyring taught, Most of us have enough faith to want the Holy Ghost at times. That desire may be weak and intermittent, but it comes, usually when we are in trouble. But for us to be led upward to safety in the times ahead, it must become steady and intense. Brothers and sisters, for us to receive this gift— We need to desire it with all our heart. Returning to the scene from the Book of Mormon, we discover another key. After pleading in prayer for the gift they most desired, the Holy Ghost, the disciples went down into the water and were baptized. And it came to pass when they were all baptized, the Holy Ghost did fall upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The ordinances, the ordinance of baptism serves as a physical witness of our commitment to remember and obey, our willingness to take Christ's name upon us, and our desire to receive the Holy Ghost. Each week, we have the opportunity to renew that witness by partaking of the sacrament, that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. The companion ordinances of baptism and the sacrament help bring the power of godliness into our lives. In a way, they symbolize both the destination and the process of becoming godly. Becoming new creatures in Christ, His sons and daughters, is our desired destination. That destination is reached week by week as we strive to remember and obey. I invite you each week to come each week to the sacrament of the Lord with faith in His promise that as we keep our covenants, we will be filled with the Spirit degree by degree until the perfect day. This year, Christmas Day falls on Sunday. 
What a blessing to celebrate Christ's birth and His perfect atonement as we receive the sacrament on that day. The final and most important key I will mention is faith in Jesus Christ. After the Holy Ghost fell upon the disciples with great power, Christ appeared and prayed, thanking His Father for giving this precious gift to them. He then said these important words, Thou hast given them the Holy Ghost because they believe in me. Faith in the Savior and His perfect atonement is the source of every good gift. Increased faith brings greater endowments of the Spirit into our lives. So how do we increase our faith in Christ? We feast on and obey His Word. Elder D. Todd Christofferson taught, The central purpose of all Scripture is to fill our souls with faith in God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. This truth is found throughout the Book of Mormon. King Benjamin, for example, taught his people the words he received from an angel, which helped them have exceeding faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that faith, the Spirit wrought a mighty change in their hearts. If we desire the Holy Ghost as our daily companion, we will feast on and obey the words of Christ received through the Scriptures, living prophets, and the whisperings of the Spirit. This daily pursuit of light and truth will increase our faith in Christ, our desire to be like Him, and our capacity to receive the third member of the Godhead as our constant companion. Brothers and sisters, God offers His priceless gifts freely to us at Christmas and throughout the year. I pray we will not leave them unopened, but receive them by turning these keys. I testify as we do, we will be filled step by step and degree by degree with love, joy, peace, purity, and power. We will become partakers of the divine nature. We will rejoice in the gift and the giver of the gift. And when he comes again, we will be prepared to receive our King. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.
I am grateful to share this celebration of Christmas with you. Our purpose is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is to capture the true spirit of Christmas for ourselves and for those we love. That spirit is characterized by peace, not political peace, for the Savior was born at a time of fear and unrest so great that his family had to flee as refugees into Egypt, not economic peace, for he was born in a stable and laid in a humble manger, and peace that comes when all the packages are wrapped, the trees decorated, and the tables set, because that peace is only momentary. The peace of Christmas is the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. It is the peace that the Apostle Paul promised would keep our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And Paul was right. That peace we seek is only through and because of Jesus Christ. Some of us live in beautiful and peaceful surroundings, yet we are experiencing inner turmoil. Others feel peace and perfect serenity in the midst of great personal loss, tragedy, and continuing trials. To all who have come into mortality, the Savior said, in the world you shall have tribulation. Yet he gave this wonderful promise to his disciples during his mortal ministry, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. It is a comfort to know that this promise of personal peace continues for all of his covenant disciples today. It is a promise given even on the very night of his birth when heavenly messengers herald the birth of the Savior, they declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. At this blessed season of the year, we more than ever seek peace through the giver of all gifts. I desire tonight to share just a few of the many ways we can increase the peace we experience this season, throughout the year to come, and throughout our lives. First, like the angels who sang on the night of his birth, we can feel peace as we celebrate our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can come and adore him. Christmas is the celebration of a birth. All of us have felt the wonder of seeing a newborn child. We feel humbled as we see the miracle of tiny features and the promise of the future. We feel tenderness. We feel gratitude. We feel peace. And there comes a feeling of love into our hearts that makes us want to give and to be gentle as we remember whose birth we celebrate. For Christmas is a celebration of a birth like no other. The birth of Jesus had been foreseen by God's prophets for ages. This birth was the fulfillment of a promise made to us in the spirit world by a loving Heavenly Father. It was the birth of the promised Messiah. Words come back from memory and down into my heart every Christmas season. I can hear in my mind exultant voices of a great choir singing, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The first time I can remember hearing those words was as I sat in the balcony of the Salt Lake Tabernacle. A choir was singing the music of Handel. I can remember feeling something in my heart. I was young then. I'm older now. And I know what that feeling was. It was the Holy Ghost whose companionship I had been offered when I was eight years of age. The Spirit confirmed that night to my heart that the words I heard sung were true. The baby born in Bethlehem long ago was and is the Son of God, the only begotten of a father. Those who knelt before him came to worship the Savior. He was the Lamb of God sent to break, break the bands of death by his atoning sacrifice. He came with the power to bear our sorrows and our grief that he might know how to succor us. And he was born to atone for all of our sins as only he could. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The feeling I had in the balcony of the tabernacle that night was of faith and hope. I felt faith that because unto us a child was born, I could have hope in my heart that death would not be the end. I would be resurrected and the sting of death would be removed for all of Heavenly Father's children. And yet I felt more, so much more. I felt hope that because of him, I could follow and serve him and so be born to a newness of spiritual life. Because of the gift of his birth, my heart, your heart, and all human hearts can be changed to become again like that of a little child, pure, clean, and fit to go home again to the God who gave us a Savior and provided the way back to him in his heavenly home. I felt gratitude and peace, and so could we all, because of the gift of the Father and of the Son. Second, like the shepherds who saw the Christ child and made known abroad the glad tidings of his birth, we can teach peace to our families and others whom we love. We do so best when we open the scriptures to their minds and hearts. When our children were little, we created a family Christmas pageant with all the words drawn from scripture. We performed the pageant on Christmas Eve. Many of you have done something similar. The early drafts of our pageant called for a limited number of players, all playing parts from scripture. To start with, I was Joseph. My wife was Mary, and a doll was the Christ child. The cast filled out over time. We added a small actor who portrayed the baby Jesus. Then came shepherds dressed in bathrobes to worship in the, at the manger. And next, we were able to add kings bearing jeweled boxes to honor the newborn king. After the years, we opened the pageant with a child who portrayed Samuel, the Lamanite, standing to testify with prophetic power of the future birth of the promised Messiah. In time, 
probably unwisely, we added a disbelieving crowd armed (laughs) with aluminum foil balls to throw at Samuel as he stood before them. Each year, as the members of the angry Bob grew stronger and more accurate, we had to remind them forcefully that Samuel could not be hit because he was God's protected servant and because we were inviting and celebrating peace. We needed parts for the smaller children, and so we added sheep and lambs to crawl behind the shepherds to the manger. But then time passed, as it does. The players grew up, and now we are back to the beginning. I have watched those Josephs, Marys, shepherds, sheep, lambs, and kings move on to teach their own loved ones of the Savior and about the peace His birth makes possible. They were less blessed to learn in the parts they played in our little pageant something about the Savior and why we love Him. I'm grateful that our children and their children saw us honor the baby Jesus born to be the infinite sacrifice, priceless gift of peace Heavenly Father gave to all His children. Third, like the wise men, we can give gifts of love and peace as disciples of the risen Lord. For instance, Bishop Sellers in Rexburg, Idaho, did so in the years after he was called as a bishop long ago. His ward chapel was close to the highway that passed through the small town. In those days of unemployment, many destitute people moved from place to place, hoping to find some way to sustain themselves. They would often seek out one of the Latter-day Saint bishops for help. Often, the bishops they approached would send them to the home of Bishop Sellers. There was a reason for that. The Sellers family welcomed strangers in need. Instead of dinner being only a meal, one or two or sometimes more often strangers were at the table. After the guests enjoyed the delicious meal prepared by Sister Sellers, the bishop gave them a coat from the supply of surplus army coats he had purchased. Once fitted in a warm coat and holding a package with another meal prepared by Sister Sellers, they would go out into the winter day with warm hearts. The sights and the sounds and the feeling of the day would stay with them on their way. Because some of the coldest times in Rexburg were in the Christmas season, and because of the family's tradition of year-round charity, the children in the Sellers' home carry a memory of having done what the Savior would have done and of doing it for Him. You and your family will have built your own Christmas traditions to fit your circumstances, but they will have some things in common. They will draw hearts to the Savior and they will include acts of kindness that will merit the approbation of the Savior. He said, For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And he will say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Angels, shepherds, and wise men sought and found peace from their faith in Jesus Christ. So will you. The Savior's birth is the gift that makes it possible 
for the Father to give us peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. We shouted for joy in the spirit world when we heard that promise. Peace and joy come to us again when we hear words sung proclaiming that God's loving promise was kept. All is calm, all is bright. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ, the Savior, is born. I pray that peace will come and abide with each of us as we remember, love, and worship our Heavenly Father. By keeping our covenants with Him, may we always remember the service and kindness Jesus Christ gave during His mortal ministry and resolve to do the same. I testify that I know that Jesus is the Christ, the beloved Son of the Father. I bear witness that President Thomas S. Monson is the living prophet of God. His wish and that of the First Presidency as you will have in this season and always the feelings of joy, love, and peace that the Savior promised to His faithful and submissive disciples. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We express appreciation to the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square for the beautiful Christmas music that has filled our hearts. We likewise give thanks to the speakers and recognize the effort of all who have assisted in any way to make this devotional possible. As we enter into this beautiful season, we pray that each of you may be blessed to experience the peace and hope that is manifest through the redeeming love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord loves you. President Monson loves you. We love you. As we now close the meeting, the choir will sing Silent Night. The congregation, we all, will join in singing the third verse. We would like to wish you a very blessed Christmas season and enjoy these beautiful days as the Lord is giving us this Christmas time to remember Him and the great sacrifice he has given to and gift he has given to us.
You've been listening to a rebroadcast of a First Presidency Christmas devotional from 2016 on Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of spiritual focus and inspiration. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.